never find the more wretched hive of scum and villainy. We must be cautious. Hello there, and welcome to another episode of Beltway Banthas, a Star Wars podcast live from the hive of scum and villainy, Washington, D.C. I am your co-host, Stephen Kent, and today is an extension of our Beltway Banthas interview series. We had the pleasure this week of talking with Tamara Keith, the White House correspondent for NPR, as well as the co-host of the NPR Politics Podcast. I had the unique pleasure of going down to the NPR headquarters in Washington, D.C., and was joined by our contributor from the U.K., Swara Saleh. Swara was down here uh, this past week visiting family. I think you might have heard him on episode 10, uh, contributing to our conversation live in that episode. So he went down there as my wingman, I guess you could say as my Chewbacca, um, to talk to Tamara. We were lucky enough to receive a full tour while we were there. Uh, Swara and I got walked around the newsroom, the bullpen areas for all the reporters. Um, we even got to go down to the NPR Music uh, Corner and see where they, they tape the Tiny Desk Sessions, which is a really, really cool video series for musicians and we got set up in one of their studios to record. I think one of the silver linings of the day was Tamara um, saw my, uh, my rinky-dinky recording setup. She insisted that we use NPR equipment to record, and that was just one of the cooler experiences of my life. Um, and just a real reminder of how cool this podcast journey has been. And so I'm just happy to be doing this. Happier than ever to be doing this and bringing this stuff to you. Um, I also want to give a shout out to our tour guide while we were there by the name of Hugo. Hugo is one of the PR folks at NPR, and he gave us a really gracious and awesome tour, and we really appreciated his time. Hugo, if you connect with me on LinkedIn, I will endorse you for tour guiding. So before we get to the interview, just a few quick items. If you are a new listener to this show and you have not taken the time yet to give us a review, we would really appreciate it if you could hit us up on iTunes and drop us a rating and review of the show. Um, your comments and your review really helps us get fed to more people, and it means a lot to Tierso and I to see your comments and, and basically just get a feel for how you think we're doing. Also, we have our first line of Beltway Bantha's merchandise uh, coming in the mail this week. We ordered some Campaign 2016 pins, and they are going to be Star Wars and Politics spoof pins, um, we put this out on Twitter and we're talking to people about what they might like to see in terms of merchandise. And this was what the votes yielded. So we have our first pin of many to come. It is a Princess Leia I'm With Her pin. So it's um, definitely in the Hillary Clinton vein. And there will be some more on the way for other campaigns and other little insider political jokes. Uh, these are up right now on our Store Envy page, which you can find on our Twitter and on our Facebook um, we have had pre-orders come in, and I just want to thank the people who have ordered these pens beforehand. It really helps us lay the groundwork to order more of these pens and bring you guys more cool merchandise. So just a big thank you to Cheston Lee, uh, John Lang, Matt Moore, Jessica White, Daniel Gilligan, William Smith, Andrew Dodson, and Nick DeCalandria, notably of the Coffee with Kenobi podcast. So with that, uh, I will turn to Tamara Keith. 
Tamara and I had a really great conversation about her Star Wars fandom and her history as a fan. She was incredibly fun to talk to. Suara and I had just a really great time. Um, and we're even surprised to find out that she's a listener of this show. Uh, she referenced a couple times different, uh, different topics that we'd have on previous episodes. And I guess I was surprised, mildly starstruck even. I think that's why when I was going back over this interview, I didn't feel super great about it on my end because I think I was just a little bit awestruck by the entire thing just sitting in the temple of American public broadcasting. So I think I just, I felt distracted. But then again, it wasn't really that hard because of Tamara's just unbridled enthusiasm for this topic. Um, we talked a little bit about her thoughts on some of the movies, about the confusion of some of the politics in Star Wars, um, you know, her experience with being a Star Wars parent, as well as our mutual love and admiration of at real trumpetine. You can connect with Tamara on Twitter at Tamara Keith NPR and also with her podcast at NPR Politics, um, Beltway Banthas as well at Beltway Banthas. So without further ado, I bring you Tamara Keith, the White House correspondent for NPR and the co-host of NPR Politics. Tamara, welcome to the show. I'm glad to be on the show. So, Tamara, you broke the internet, effectively, when you shared a picture uh, earlier this year of yourself in Leia cosplay. That was a <laughs> did thing. I break the internet? You I don't did, think I broke the internet. You broke the political geek internet because everyone felt solidarity with somebody in high places all of a sudden. It's <laughs> very funny. I had no idea. Oh, it's true. It got circulated in all of these weird niche circles that Beltway Banthas occupy. <laughs> I'm, I, I'm a little afraid. <laughs> There's no need to be afraid. No it's need a good at all. Thing. Trust us. It's absolutely a good thing. But uh, I mean, is that a normal thing for you? Do you do cosplay, or is that just a, a party costume of something like that? Yeah, I mean, it, it's like once you have the Leia buns, like why not use them? Yes. So, um, I, I have a, a small creature, a four-year-old. Oh, so, I thought you were thinking an Ewok. No, no, but um, he would be a cute Ewok. Um, no, so we um. <laughs> I, I, they definitely predate him, but but like for Halloween this year, the whole family dressed up, or like he he had a Star Wars birthday party a couple of weeks ago. Good for him, which was awesome. Uh, and we all dressed up, so it you know like once you have it, it really comes in handy. Wonderful. I've got a five year old myself. She she does the whole thing. Um, she's a big Padme fan. Um, and she does like the Ewoks a lot more than she likes Jawas. She finds them to be disturbing. Well, they are. <laughs> They're scary, and Ewoks are so cute. Well, Tamara, when did Star Wars enter your life? Uh, was this something from your childhood, like most people, or was it something that kind of came in later? So my parents would claim that uh, when my mom went into labor, they said, come back to the hospital in a few hours, and they went to see Star Wars. I don't think it actually adds up, though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I don't think that's true. Um, but that's Sounds what they. Like a good story. But it is a really great story that they have told me more than once. So who knows? Um, but I think I really got into Star Wars in maybe junior high, which is when the um, they re-released it on video on okay. VHS. Okay. Um, and. Are we thinking, oh, 96, 96? That yeah. was the 96, 97 re-releases? Mm, no, I think it was, I think it was in the early 90s, mid-90s, before they re-released in the theaters. Okay. They put it out on VHS at yeah. some point. 
And I remember being in my friend's den and we watched all of them and we were totally into them. Uh-huh. Um, and then in, I was in college when they did the re-releases in the theaters. Okay. I stood in line to see the midnight showing, uh, you know, when they first came out uh, for each and every one of them. Okay, so this, yeah, this is the late '90s. This was the late '90s when they came back out. Yeah, no, I remember, I remember the re-releases of those tapes uh, and the gold boxes and the very just distinct Yoda on the front of. I think that one was would have been Return of the Jedi, the very, very sharp and and crusty Yoda. (laughs) (laughs) I loved those box sets. I actually still have those on my uh, on my shelf just because they look good. That's awesome. Yeah. So like my. I think that my husband would argue that my Star Wars fandom is almost more aesthetic than Mm. it is like the nitty gritty of the movies. Like I like the feel of the movies and I love the imagery. So I have an original movie poster that for whatever reason my grandparents had Mm -hmm. that's really neat and it's hard to describe, but it was it was designed for movie theaters, and they were supposed to like cut it up into yeah. six pieces and have these little posters of each of the main characters. Yeah. Um, so we have that hanging in our living room. <laughs> so it's more aesthetic. So it's a part of your identity. It's completely Ra- rather than something that you're like living every day. Like I'm trying to pursue new books, new you know new shows, but right. like this is this is part of who I am. Just I know in my core. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's what it is. And, and I, you know, I think I, I met my husband around the time of all these re-releases also because we met in college. Yeah. And then, you know, we, we saw the terrible episode one together, stood in another very long line to see episode one. Did you come out disappointed when you mm-hmm. saw it? Yeah. It was right away? Yeah. What did you think was wrong? <sighs> Jar Jar Banks. Okay. Couldn't do it. <laughs> Couldn't do it, it just it was just like what are you doing? I mean, it felt yeah. vaguely racist. Uh huh. You it picked just, up on that right away. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it, I was in it, I was it, in college. Yeah, so I must have been. I was much younger. This didn't occur to me until blogs. You know, a yeah. decade later. Yeah. <laughs> it just it felt like something wasn't right. Just not good. Uh, yeah. Do you have a favorite film? Favorite character? I'm a Princess Leia girl. Yeah. Um. It just she's an icon. I mean, yes, she had to at some point wear a golden bikini but she is still a powerful woman and and i feel like i could learn a lot from that the 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 subject of the golden bikini is a really interesting one because it makes for a really great conversation on i guess the politics of hollywood the culture of hollywood but then also talking about the character so she was treated as a material object for a part of the movie this was part of the marketing so right. it was out there. Leia was really brought down a notch. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the poster, there she is. There she is. Do you think that it is worthy to talk about the fact that she took a stand and choked out her oppressor? Or do you just don't like the context in which they pursued that that idea? I mean, I, I just don't like that she had to wear the bikini. Sure. That is all. <laughs> no, that's total. I mean, that's totally fair. I mean, it just it just it just rubs me the wrong way. One of my favorite things that has developed with this argument or this debate within yeah, the yeah. fandom is the newest addition to the canon for Leia's a, a new book called Bloodline by Claudia Gray. This is her political career after mm. Return of the Jedi. It fills the gap so that we know a little bit more about how she became General Leia in the right. Force Awakens. Okay. Um, great book if you ever have time to listen to it. I listen to books. That's the, <laughs> that's how it I, probably makes it go faster. I listen, yes, it does. I listen to everything. But um, no, where I was going with that. So 
the writer went into Tumblr and she had heard all of this chatter about this argument and she wanted to fix it in her book. And she pulled from Tumblr this like hashtag that Leia's Hut Slayer. You know, she's not <laughs> Slave Leia. Yeah. She is Hut Slayer. And they brought That's in nice. Yeah. They brought in a character to the to the canon that has video footage from the security cams <laughs> of Jabba's barge and it gets circulated amongst the underground and they, they oh, recognize and that her helps as, her political career uh, with certain parts of the world or okay. certain parts of the universe but they call her hut slayer and that was the the writer's attempt to kind of take it back yeah from slave leia <laughs> i like that see the expanded canon does have virtue it does <laughs> they're they're going back and they're fixing a lot of little things and also just adding a lot of great things hmm. so that we can understand the force awakens a little bit more yeah well i'm hoping that we'll understand the force awakens a little more when the next one and the next one and the next one come out. That is that is going to be the case. What uh what's your favorite movie? Um it's um Empire. Okay. But but I have to say I um Ray is also awesome. Like I really the new one is fabulous. Like she's I don't know, she just like she's she's just like I don't need your help. I'll help you. Yes. Like it's <laughs> I it's I mean it's cool. <laughs> I just love that she's been out there alone by herself and she's kind, but she is also quite firm. Yes. Yes. <laughs> that is that. I mean, that is what is so great about Ray. Whereas Leia, I mean, Leia, you have to peel back some of the layers yes. to really get to the kind Leia and the one that is like willing to let you in. Right. Um, Ray is really an inverse of that where she's on the front, just very kind and will will welcome you and be warm. But she, you're not going to walk over her at all. She will hit you with a stick. Yes. Of course, Ray is Luke, so that's why. <laughs> you think she's a Skywalker? Is that Well, I don't know. I'm not saying that oh, I okay. think she's a Skywalker. I think if she is, that would be disappointing. Oh, the, re the repeat of that But arc. I think that yeah. she's just, I think she's Luke. So uh, there has been a theory on the rounds of the internet uh, recently that um, has gotten a lot more talk that Ray may actually be uh, Emperor Palpatine dash Darth Sidious's granddaughter. I'm curious what you might make of this theory. <laughs> oh my, that's a new one. Um, I mean, somehow it would be more. It would be more interesting to have that kind of a surprise, right? Mm -hmm. Like I, I feel like if she's just Luke's daughter, then it's just like, oh, okay. I guess this really is a Disney movie. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like there's okay, fine. Let's just admit it. Yeah, that, that interests me very little. I don't think yeah. that that's going to bring people into theaters or excite people about Episode Nine. I'm sure we'll figure this out in Episode Eight, her lineage, and I don't think that's going to be a very good selling point. If they're just rehashing this, you are my father moment with the Skywalkers. Yeah, though I think that um, I I think a lot of us just have like a Pavlovian reaction to the Star Wars music, and you mm -hmm. just play a little John Williams and we'll show up. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, I mean... We went back and saw episode two after we all saw episode one. And then we even went back and saw episode three. With a smile on our faces. Yes. And we were like, no, this one's really cool. I it, swear. My, I mean, my first like big Star Wars movie theater experience, uh, I, I'm, I guess I'm aging myself in the opposite direction, is like my first theater experience was Revenge of the Sith. You know, that was <laughs> that was my first big one. Yeah. Um, I remember being in full costume for that, hanging out with the nerds from I, I got there by about 4 p.m. and stayed until midnight. It's amazing. Um, best best time of my life as a Star Wars fan was those six, six, eight hours in line. Yeah. 
What about you? Do you have a, a defining Star Wars moment um, <gasps> that means a lot to you or a moment in the films that sort of just mm. gets you every time? So I saw, this is not it, but Revenge of the Sith, I saw, I like ditched out of work. I was in my nice. first adult reporting job and I ditched out of work on the day it came out and went at noon or something. I might have ditched out of work to come talk to you today. So. You might be, I don't know. <laughs> Some people might be saying that. <laughs> Some people will say, not substantiated. <laughs> not substantiated. <laughs> um, okay, so what is like a moment in the films that really gets me? That's a good is a good question. It is a good question. <laughs> uh-oh. Look at me. Yeah, uh-oh, going going deep on Got you. Yeah, you totally did get me. Use the force. Yeah, I I just rewatched it and the Obi-Wan Vader fight. I've been waiting for you, Obi-Wan. We meet again at last. The circle is now complete. When I left you, I was but the learner. Now I am the master. Only a master of evil, I'm I'm fascinated with it, and I'm also fascinated how Obi-Wan just disappears, Mm -hmm. which is very, I mean, like, if it were uh, made today, there'd be, like, burn marks and blood, and (laughs) he wouldn't just go, like, poof. Quite graphic. Yes. Well, no, they've, I mean, this has been one of the most interesting questions about the force, which is, you know, why did he disappear? Because yeah. we, we have to watch everything in the context now of not thinking, well, they just didn't know how to kill him the right way in 77. Now we have to think, like, what was he studying? I mean, he was out being like a monk in the deserts of Tatooine, yeah. working on how to become one with the force. So he prepared. He, he grit his teeth. He closed his eyes. He didn't even grit his teeth. He just very calmly was like, all right, strike me down. And then he merged with the force like that just yeah. at, at a moment and that is one of the things i'm looking forward to hoping that they they expand a little bit on because that's a huge question um the poetry of that scene though yeah. is is intense and after you've seen revenge of the sith um i mean that's a movie I, I think that's the case for the prequels it adds emotional depth to the original films that maybe weren't there before um so you yeah, watch a I scene like I that agree. and you feel a lot more yeah yeah when when Obi-Wan's standing there, I mean, you can just kind of hear the Mustafar scene. Mm-hmm. You were my brother, Anakin! I loved you! And then he strikes him down and gets his revenge. <laughs> but Tamara, why politics? Like, what was, oh. your, what was your track to getting into journalism, politics, and where did these things kind of collide? Uh, well, the, the track to journalism... Yeah, it's interesting. I guess that the track to politics maybe even started before the track to journalism mm-hmm. um, because my my parent I, I listened to a lot of NPR growing up so I guess I got a lot of politics that way and then yeah. my parents took me to you know various political events and I mean one of my earliest memories good is parents. good parents <laughs> yeah I think I, I think they are I mean I, I my earliest memories are of my family talking to me about our president Ronald Reagan um, and also this other memory of and I must have been like five at the time my parents saying guess who Walter Mondale picked to be his vice presidential nominee Mm -hmm. and I said um Jesse Jackson but it was um it was Geraldine Ferraro how old were you at this time I was like five five love it (laughs) but like they and this is like this weird memory but it you know it's like they I think they thought I was 
going to be excited because it was a woman woman yeah. but i'm like who's geraldine ferraro Who, what five-year-old <laughs> what even like 35 year old knew in much of the country who geraldine ferraro was and i was a little kid in california but we talked about politics even when i was a little kid um and and talked about who the president was and those things um and then as in some of my first journalism jobs sort of the 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 guys who had really made it like the guys that were at the top of the food chain Mm -hmm. they were the political correspondents um and so it was always this thing that was like a little bit out of reach um so maybe that's why i really got into it i mean i was always interested in politics i think it's fascinating i think it's that the drama is and I don't mean like, oh, the drama, like housewives drama, though we're getting a little of that this year. But just like the it's about people's lives and there's so much at stake with it. And, and just I, I find it fascinating. And, and I guess I always have. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that basically explains all of this, why we are all here. <laughs> yes. Just a love for the saga. I mean, one, yes. cha- one chapter that leads to another. And I mean, I think about these things in terms of decades and presidential administrations. <laughs> yes. And then I think about it just in films. There's nothing better than the chapter one, two, three, four, five, six structure. Yes. <laughs> it's a perfect structure. <laughs> well, you've had your name on a lot of bylines about Star Wars. I think the last one that I, I looked up in my, my research was why the politics of Star Wars do not make sense. Yes. Why don't they make sense? Oh man. Is it a, is that much of a mess? Well, this the Senate does not I mean like it just doesn't and is is it a the Trade Federation and and who's in charge and why is there a Senate and is it like the UN? Yeah. What are the rules? How can they just decide to put somebody in charge all of a sudden and why is there a queen who is a senator? We had talked about that last week. The, the juxtaposition between, on the local level, it seems that they elect monarchs. Yes. And on the intergalactic level, they appoint uh, delegates to go, go and represent people. But then when the queen, who's elected to a planet and not the delegate to the Senate, comes and speaks, they listen. And she can call for a vote. Um, right. I mean, it's... It, this it's like, is a problem. It's like Bibi Netanyahu coming to speak to Congress and, and Congress calling saying... for a vote. <laughs> And it working somehow. Yes. Like actually getting he actually what he asked for. comes and gets what he wants and gets a referendum on Obama administration. And uh, I mean, that's 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 basically. basically how it works in Star Wars. So you're right. I mean, that's that's a huge question mark. Yeah. Were you f- left with a lot of questions after The Force Awakens? Because I, for one, left going, what 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 is Hosnian Prime? Like, what's yes. who's the first order? What is yes. all of this? Um, you know what? Willing suspension of disbelief. Mm-hmm. I've just I've given up on fully understanding the way the galaxy governance structure operates. Sure. Um, and and I think I heard on your podcast actually that there were all of these like scenes that were cut out where You've listened to the podcast. Yes, we made it, Suara. <laughs> we did it. <laughs> so I learned on your podcast that there were these scenes that were cut out uh-huh. where. There, the like ambassador like went to this planet and said, "Hey guys, you're in danger. You should do something." Yeah. But then, ultimately, all we saw was like the a zoom in the on end. the face of the failure. Yeah, and we're supposed to feel something like, "Oh, these people who are standing here, I'm so sad. They're getting blown up." No, you no, don't, there's you don't nothing. Feel that. There's no feeling. So 
they're filling in all of those gaps through books and comics and you know that's right but like that's not fair yeah that's it's it not fair um it is i think it is on filmmakers to make a film that does tell as much of the story as can be told i would just like to point out that director of episode eight ryan johnson has said that he will explore more of the politics of the galaxy at that time and give sort of that more context but you're right it is frustrating we didn't get that beforehand yeah and i you know i think the challenge as we've learned with episodes one and two and three um is that putting politics into Star Wars and making it watchable is challenging. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's not easy because you don't actually go to Star Wars for a political drama. You go to Star Wars for for the lightsabers and and the force of good and evil and not sort of the logistics of a governing body. Trade routes? Yeah, of trade routes. <laughs> So it's it is a real challenge, but I think that there was just not quite enough in Force Awakens. I relate to that very much. Um, I think one of my other favorite pieces I believe you had helped write was why Star Wars plus politics equals Internet gold. (laughs) Those are some of the best clips that I've ever (laughs) seen from the intersection of Star Wars and politics. The worst being, well, the best and the worst being Ted Cruz and his impressions. Like, <laughs> does this just like, is this just really the treasure trove for you is when Star Wars finds its way into the election? It's a good thing. It's always a good thing. <laughs> and and the reality is that like, you know, the, the Marco Rubios and the Ted Cruz's are all of just the right age yeah. for Star Wars to be part of their lexicon. Um, Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump are actually too old. Ah. Uh. Marco Rubio let me down so hard, though, with uh, he was doing some press conference talking about The Force Awakens. And he goes, you know, my favorite movie was The Empire Strikes Back. I just I just loved it when Luke flew in there and blew up the Death Star in one shot. And I just went, no, Marco, why? Well, and and (laughs) the whole Marco Rubio, Jeb Bush relationship and the tortured efforts to figure it out whether it was an Obi-Wan Anakin situation mm-hmm. or whether it was a Luke Obi-Wan or whether it was a Luke Darth Vader situation. Yeah. So the original conception for this podcast <laughs> came from that debate when when the debates were being had. And it was I guess it was the night and I, I don't want to botch the, the political reference, but when Jeb went after Marco for his attendance record in the Senate and Marco slammed him. And you should be showing up to work. I mean, literally, the Senate, what is it, like a French work week? You get like three days where you have to show up? You can campaign or just resign and let someone else take the job. There are a lot of people living paycheck to paycheck in Florida as well. They're looking for a senator that will fight for them each and every day. I get to respond, right? 30 seconds. 30 seconds. Well, it's interesting. Over the last few weeks, I've listened to Jeb as he walked around the country and said that you're modeling your campaign after John McCain that you're going to launch a furious comeback the way he did, by fighting hard in New Hampshire and places like that, carrying your own bag at the airport. You know how many votes John McCain missed when he was carrying out that furious comeback that you're now modeling it under? He wasn't my concern. Now, Jeb, I don't remember. Well, let me tell you, I don't remember you ever complaining about John McCain's vote record. The only reason why you're doing it now is because we're running for the same position, and someone has convinced you that attacking me is going to help you. Here's the bottom line. I'm not... My campaign... It's going to be about the future of America. And that was when the next day the Padawan has like, or the apprentice has killed the master (laughs) headlines started coming out. People started talking about that. And I made a graphic of Obi-Wan and Anakin fighting with their two faces put on there. And I I put that up as my Facebook banner one day. And I think that's when the the wheels started turning. I was like, 
This is this could be a thing. This could be a thing. This could be a whole thing. And now that we it do. is a whole thing. It is a whole thing. Uh, I'm just curious. What was your reaction to Hillary Clinton closing out a debate with "May the Force be with you"? <laughs> Pandering. <laughs> I just don't. I don't know where that came from. I I don't. Her advisor said <laughs> the kids will love it. <laughs> Those kids in their 30s and 40s will love it. <laughs> <laughs> she. Uh... I just feel like when everybody anybody ever says "May the Force be with you," I always feel like saying and also with you and also with you mm-hmm. i just can't but and then i feel like i'm at church but i'm not really at church mm-hmm. because there's no force at the church but anyway because it's like you know a church may christ be with you and also with you anyway that's, that's funny i never really thought about it that way i just <laughs> i always want to say that and i say it with a select select few people but i i feel like it's too weird of a response like you know someone says may the force be with you and then you take it further and they're like <laughs> What? Yeah, no, no. What are you talking just about? Stop. I just, I just, just thought stop. that was a thing people said. <laughs> <laughs> when you watch Star Wars, and just kind of going through the politics of it, I mean, do you take away a specific political message? Huh. Or just well, the message? Yeah, and the the part the thing that I loved is the the poli sci professor who suggested that uh, the Jedi are like the Taliban. Oh, I've heard this one. I've heard this one. Do you remember enough of it I'm to, like, to flesh it out a little bit? I'm trying to remember exactly what he said, but it was it was essentially that they are like an extra governmental body okay. that is sort of a religious order, and I, I think it's sort of a devil's advocate argument that sure. possibly the Jedi are not necessarily a force for good or not a pure force for good. Well, I think I mean. The more I've been rewatching these movies and kind of watching it with a with an older hat on, as well as watching the Clone Wars TV series, which adds a little little couple extra nuggets there, but like they seem to have messed up very badly. And the idea that they are trying to use the Force to guide their political decisions and the way that the the, the Galactic Republic should work seems to me to be a very flawed idea, um, because it is supposed to be about their religion, and they're letting their religion like force the way that they think wars should be fought. Yeah. Um, so the Taliban argument is compelling. Um, <laughs> I found it to be very I'm not, compelling. I'm not sure if it's like the best organization to liken them to. <laughs> no, um, I think it's a provocative organization <laughs> provocative to liken them to. Provocative is definitely the right word. But, it, you know, it works. I mean, they, they act outside the bounds of government, but yet they are like the government in Star yes. Wars. And they're, they're the enforcers. They're the, yeah. They're a hand of the government at times, but then they're outside of the government at other times. Yes. They're always switching off. Yeah. But, um, I mean, as a journalist, is there anything about Star Wars that makes you tick? Or do you feel like there really is no intersection with what you do on a day-to-day basis? Because one thing that I've been trying to flesh out with guests we have on the show is how does Star Wars intersect with like your day-to-day work? You know, with Jason saying the representative from North Carolina, uh, 97th District, we had him the other week. I mean, it's a relationship builder with him. It's how he reaches out to people and how people on the other side of the aisle can reach out to him. Hmm. And it drives his his day to day work in the legislature. Does it is there a part of it that as a journalist that interests you or motivates you on a day to day basis? That's interesting. I it 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 is pretty much a separate universe yeah. in my world. Um, and, and maybe that's just like the compartmentalization of my uh-huh. life and my pleasure, um, and my work and my pleasure. But I mean, I, you know, I'll drop the occasional Star Wars joke um, with people at work and I have some allies in that and I have some <laughs> non-allies in that. Um, but it, it doesn't it doesn't um, I don't I don't 
think about I don't really think about politics very often through mm-hmm. a prism of Star Wars and I don't I don't think about journalism through a prism of Star Wars at all. What about one other one more curveball question to Unless to catch you, you know off. you might ca- you might help me see the, see this. If you were a journalist in the Republic, <laughs> what story would you want to break? Oh, bring to the public. I think if I had to pick one, I would want to do the finding of Sifo Diaz. Who ordered the clone army? Who ordered it? You know, that would Obi-Wan, be amazing. Obi Wan did not finish that like entire investigation. Right, it just kind of like hit a brick wall. It just sort of <laughs> fell. Well, but then they, luckily, the clone army was there to help. Um, yes. All of a sudden, when they needed them, I, I am sure that there. I mean, like, what if you could have broken the Palpatine story before it became clear? Mm-hmm. Like, what if somehow you figured out his dark intentions? I mean, this this would not be my story because public radio would never do this story. But what if you discovered the Padme Anakin affair before? I mean, that's like yes. that would be Scandal. like the National Enquirer would get that, and then like six <laughs> months later we'd come around and we'd be like, oh right, that actually did have political implications. But um, that would be a that would be a good one for someone other than public radio that would be a good one i would love i'd love to see someone dig into like what is going on with palpatine and the consolidation of power i mean he's, yes he made all these moves uh during the prequels to rein in civil rights and amend yes. the constitution and i think one of the questions i had watching the film was where's the media yeah and, how are they getting away with this yeah i mean there's there seems to be no media coverage in star wars they call it the holonet um that's tv and news oh, and yeah. it's it's just like a complete blank space for me. And I, I got to say, my wish list for Rogue One is I want to see the holonet. Like, I just want to see what <laughs> TV news in Star Wars is like. I have this vision of in Rogue One, like, that we might get to see people sitting at a bar, cantina, having a drink, <laughs> watching the holonet, seeing Palpatine give a speech and being like, oh, what a hack. Blah, blah, blah. It that feels like so it would cool. be very 1984. <laughs> well, it would be. I mean... <laughs> Total, total 1984 lording over the public kind of thing. I want to see news in Star Wars. I don't think I do. So, Why not? Yes, let me express a controversial opinion. I don't think I do because I often don't like the way that news is portrayed in movies. And it's it's, it's often disappointing. Like, it, it, if it's something that you really live and know, mm-hmm. then when you see it in fiction it doesn't feel right. It feels like fake and like often they sort of miss the point or, or journalists are either heroes or villains and there isn't this like gray area of sure. not knowing if you're doing the right thing or not knowing if your story is going to pan out. Cause that, that, that doesn't fit in fiction or in film. So the portrayal of, of journalists on, on screen is too extreme. I mean, it's just over the top. Yeah. I mean, it, it's not, <laughs> You know, I think newsroom. Yeah. I mean, right. That is newsroom is black and white. There's yeah. There, and with lots of long monologues. I, I mean, I, <laughs> I, I, you know, and I, I think, took it too far, Aaron Sorkin. <laughs> <laughs> really and, did. And, and you know, like in um that show that I don't watch, in House of Cards, like no, not all journalists are throwing themselves on congressmen to get the scoop. Mm. Actually. That's not really something we do. So, I mean, I, I just, like, imagine 
I, it, it's going to end up being like Wolf Blitzer speaking out of a, out of a screen. Like if it were to show up in Star Wars, they they'd just get Wolf Blitzer to play himself, and they'd like put a funny outfit on him, and it would be just Government disappointing. Government sponsored television, Russian news. <laughs> I imagine that's what it'd be like. Yeah, Wolf, I just Wolf would be great at reporting the news in the Empire. I think he could do it. I think. <laughs> Don't tell him. We love you, Wolf. (laughs) (laughs) But I just, I, yeah. Real trumpeting. Yes. I think this is something that we all are deeply enthusiastic about, which, by the way, announcing right now, Real Trumpeting is going to be on the show. Is Real Trumpeting going to be... In character? In character? Yeah. To be determined? I I personally want to hear a bit about the guys behind it. Yes. Um, are there multiple guys? There are two. Um, I'm breaking a story here. You I'm breaking are. a story. You are breaking a story. Um, yeah. So you know, it's, it's two guys behind Real Trumpetine. Um, they live up. They live upstate, um, and they're going to come on the show and talk a little bit about the inspiration behind it and kind of where they get the knowledge to do all this stuff. Because I mean, my suspicion is they got to be watching the news all day. A lot. Because they've got to be watching all the shows. They're on top of it. Um, everything yes. that Real Trumpetine is putting out there not only is really, really witty and, and just perfect for Star Wars, um, it's it's always with the news cycle, it like is. down to the minute. It is it is truly remarkable. What I've discovered as I read Real Trumpetine tweets to people who are not as deeply immersed in politics or not as deeply immersed in Star Wars is that there's actually a pretty small Venn diagram of people who think he's super duper funny <laughs> because you gotta know like 75% of it I was yeah. reading real trumpetine tweets for a good friend of mine and my husband and they were both looking at me like hmm you think this is super funny and I was like yes it is extremely funny um, and my husband's totally into Star Wars but sort of met on politics mm-hmm. and my friend is sort of middling on both and it there there are a lot of deep cuts like there are a lot of references that are not not top line like oh yeah i saw the star wars movie once and i totally get that joke (laughs) would y'all like to read any read trump between quotes oh my gosh I I, i could pick two two amazing ones right off the top yeah here we go real trumpetine let's see Mm, that one's not very good what's she up to trumpetine Heading to Death Star 2, where I will be discussing how to win big against the Rebels, unlike whiny Luke. I've got a great, great feeling about this. (laughs) (laughs) Crooked Padme is being badly criticized for her poor performance during Senate debate on trade blockade. Let us all see what happens. (laughs) I'm not saying Crooked Leia isn't from Alderaan. But has anyone seen her birth certificate? Many people saying she was born on Polis Massa. I don't even know how to pronounce that. You pronounced it right. I think oh, you good. nailed it. Mace Windu, the lightweight former Jedi, and a man who has made serious bad calls is a total Yoda flunky. I'm going to try to do Palpatine here. I love the uneducated. I have so many uneducated supporters. Take a look at Jar Jar. Isn't he great? Why does dishonest media never discuss Luke riding Daddy's coattails by using the droid he built personally? Sad. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> Thank you, everyone. We'll, we'll put in a round of applause for ourselves there. <laughs> when y'all read Real Trumpetine, which voice are you hearing? Do you hear Emperor Palpatine or are you hearing, are you hearing Trump? Uh, I will just say, just because I love Ian McDermott, the actor of Palpatine, so much and the portrayal, I choose that voice. And I just want to say, like, you know, this race, I think, generally has been stressful for everyone for a variety of reasons. But the reason I love this Twitter account so much, it's made it so digestible and funny. And as a Star Wars fan, as a politics nerd, it's fantastic. It's a good escape. Exactly. It is. It kind of helps you take the really frustrating day of the news cycle and just go, Okay, I can go to sleep now. Yeah. <laughs> just gonna let it just gonna let it go. Are you saying that you read real Trumpetine's tweets to go to sleep? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> nightly <laughs> Nightly Digest to unwind from how angry I am at everything I see on TV all day. <sighs> well Tamara, we wanna respect your time. No, you need to get back to breaking all the important stories of the day. Um, I don't even know what my closing question was. Are you excited about Rogue One? It's the next Star Wars movie coming up. I'm ambivalent about Rogue One. Okay. Because I just, I don't know if it's going to be good. It feels like it's it's not part of the, the order of things. Yeah. And it feels a little bit like they're just trying to make money. But then I heard the song. I heard the music. And I was like, well, I'm going to see it. Of course I'm going to see it. I get excited when I just hear the song. I have, I have bad news. There will be no John Williams music in Rogue One. What? I'm, I'm sorry. It's true. He's not scoring this film. This this film is a crock. There's no there's no reason to see it. <laughs> like what? I heard her say Make... that she loved John Williams early and I was like, I don't want to tell her. But I feel like, did the did the trailer not have it? Uh, no, the, tra- the trailer... I can't remember the name of the guy who's who's composing it. Oh, he, I forgot his name as well, unfortunately. I'll put it in post. Yeah. Um, and the whole idea is to give Rogue One the feeling that it is not part of the saga. It is a standalone film. And I think that that's a good thing because you're not going in there expecting well, Star Wars yeah. saga. This is like a standalone one-hit film. This just feels like the mouse trying to make more money. You know, I just it's a story that I feel like needs to get filled in. And I... I don't know. I want more Star Wars, and I want it to be good. I don't want... Well, but I'm worried it's not going to be good. Do you think it's going to be good? I think it's going to be good. I am deeply concerned about Han Solo uh, and these these standalone movies that he's going to have. I know Alden Ehrenreich is apparently great, um, but I'm really concerned about those movies. And Rogue One, to me, seems appropriate. Um, okay. I, I don't know. I guess... I mean, I'll see it. I mean, yeah. you're not going to... I'm not going to stay away, but I'm. I remain skeptical. Tamara, thank you so much for coming on with us today. Like, this was a real, real pleasure to talk to you. Um, We've just been big fans. Well, Suar's been a big fan for a long time. I'm a new fan to NPR politics, a new listener and subscriber. Um, And just when I heard you talking about Star Wars, I knew we had to have you on. (laughs) I will most likely keep talking about Star Wars. Thank you. Good night, and may the Force be with you.